0: Thank you so much uh, for the Word of God, and thank you that it teaches us of the living Word, even the Lord Jesus and I pray, Lord, that you might teach us now in the moments to come, feed us with the bread of heaven. Uh, may uh, we press out the cares that seem to press in on us uh, during these few moments that we might hear with clarity your word and ask you to search our hearts and to build us up and and to teach us the things that you have, that we might be ambassadors for Jesus Christ. We ask your blessing upon the speaker and uh, the meal at hand, in Christ's name, amen. Please take your Bible, look at uh, Romans chapter 12, I've uh, entitled The Message Part 3, The Gospel Changes Everything. The gospel is the great and the ultimate game-changer. I can. Uh, I remember in my own life, uh, growing up in the greater Buffalo, New York area, uh, a man by the main, name of uh, of uh, Heitzenrider. There you go. There's a there's a name for you. And uh, I remember the story uh, at our church that uh, uh, he, Mr. Heitzenrider worked at Durez, the chemical company in our city. And he was really a profane and evil man. I mean, he was, talk about ripping off four-letter, foul mouth garbage stories, you know, all this kind of thing. Just And he heard the gospel, and he was vehemently rejecting the gospel. I uh, wouldn't have any part and parcel with that, I remember. And uh, God was going to do something very dramatic in his life, and for a boy about seven or eight years old, It was really dramatic. I mean, talk about getting a a young boy's attention, you know, your eyeballs are gonna pop out of your head. He, uh, the story was told, he worked midnights, it was swing shift, midnights at the factory and the overhead crane had lifted up something and uh, as it would happen, (coughs) the the item that was on the pallet that was lifted up uh, got tipsy and fell and actually came down to the concrete floor, which Mr. Heitzenrider was standing in the vicinity, and it hit him in the leg. And it took his leg off, right there, right from above the knee, and they put a quick uh, tourniquet on it and stopped him. or He would have hemorrhaged, and that'd been it right there. Uh, and uh, he knew enough of the gospel, they say it was unbelievable, because in the moments that followed that accident, he was screaming out in repentance to God. Now, is that something? And uh, they took him down to the Grath Memorial Hospital. He was in there for a long time. And when he finally got home, you know, they the church, they kept the uh, church family appraised of his condition. He's, it's healing. The stub is healing. He's being fit for a prosthesis, this kind of thing. And uh, then the day finally came when he came to church. And the whole church, it was electrifying. It was just electrifying, Mr. Heights and writers in church, you know. <laughs> like, and, uh, and 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 that day there was an invitation given at the end. He hobbled down to the end, and he took the uh, my and very humbly, very brokenly, he gave his story on how he had received Jesus Christ and how his life had changed. Well, I was as a seven-year-old boy, I was amazed at that. I was like, you didn't even have to pay money to see that show, you know? It was like, wow. And then I was was a little afraid of a guy walking around with a stub there. You know, I never want to get too close, you know, (laughs) like that kind of a thing. But you know what? The years went on, and that man, through the gospel, became, he was an uneducated man, uh, became so eloquent and so gifted, he ended up being the premier adult uh, Bible school, Sunday school teacher, And his teaching and understanding of the Word of God was phenomenal as the years unrolled. And there came a point in time, probably 15, 20 years after that, where he finally left work and God called him to pastor some of the little churches in the little countryside, actually in western Pennsylvania. And uh, he pastored there for like 35 years. He just never quit, he kept living. You know, and uh, he finally just retired. He's still living. That is a vivid story in my recollection of how the gospel is the ultimate game changer. There's no way you could account for that. None. In the glory of God in his life, through what? He would have gladly given up that leg if uh, the alternative was to stay in his sin, rebellious and vile and wicked. The gospel is the ultimate game changer. It changes everything. We've been looking at that. in The last couple decades in our country, there's risen a new God in the land. Have you noticed? There's a new God. There's all kinds of gods, right? But there, here's a new one. It's the uh, God of self-esteem. Self-esteem. I dare say my grandfather would have said, pardon me, what's that? <laughs> self-esteem. Well, what, 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 I've never heard of that. You know, like a, Oh, yeah, Grandpa, it's a new God in the land since, uh, you know, probably what, the 50s, 60s, 70s, particularly as we get into the cycle of Babel nonsense. It really is not a new God. It's the old God of self. That's what it is. You know what do you mean? Me, myself, and I, my three best friends, right? I'm number one. It's all about me. I, I'm, you know, Wow. Satan told Eve in Genesis chapter 3, when she was standing there looking at the tree, what's she doing there looking at the tree? You know, like, what are we doing? You think about that with sin and temptation. We're so weak and so vulnerable. We're standing there looking at stuff we shouldn't be doing. Shouldn't do. I always remember my father saying, I never want for a new car. How's that? I never look. I go like, well, there's a, there's a brilliant, not only, in, that's okay with cars. what the idea, here she's standing there looking, and Satan's dialoguing, and God's keeping something back from you. Why? He knows that the day you eat of that, you're going to be like God. There it is. Oh, that's the God of self-esteem, Genesis 3, 5. Well, we see the cycle, babble of this God displayed in the classroom, right? Nobody fails. Everyone passes. Isn't that great? The whole thing comes down, right? Mediocre becomes the standard, not excellence. Everybody passes. Well, we don't want, what, Johnny to feel badly about getting F's. Well, we used to feel badly at home when when some in our family, one in our family, came home and at report card time felt bad and because they had to face my father down in the kitchen and he didn't enjoy that very much. But And my father, I'll say another story on that. Uh, It's referring to one of my brothers. They wanted to keep passing him on in school, passing him on. I remember that day. It was grammar school, seventh grade. And my brother, they're terrible. They're terrible. And they passed him on to eighth grade. And I remember that day because my father didn't go to work. I said, hey, what's that doing here? I thought something, the earth had ended, you know. (laughs) He's going to school with your mother, and we're going to talk to the principal. What? Oh, he's in deep, deep trouble. (laughs) And and the story was told when he came home. I said, Mom, what happened there? He said, well, they wanted to pass your brother on because they didn't want him to feel badly about himself. And your father demanded that they fail him. And the principal said he never heard of this before. And my father and he said, Your dad was eyeball to eyeball with him. He's failing. He's going to repeat seventh grade. Well, his friends are going to go on. I don't care about his friends. I care about my son. He can't read and write and do the math. And it was that cycle babble into the classroom. And you know what? Today he he graduated from college. Because he's telling me, well, he's not everybody's college material. And that's true, and that's okay. He ended up graduating from college. He got a master's degree at Indiana University. And my father's convinced, and my brother's convinced. You know, I don't think I would have made high school. I don't think I would have graduated from high school if they would have just kept pressing me on. I don't think I would have made it. Didn't want him to feel badly about himself. That's, That's cycle babble nonsense, Right? and uh, We see it displayed in the sports field, right? Everybody wins. You ever see that in Little League Baseball? How about that, Danny? You played baseball. They, we don't count the runs. What a bunch of nonsense that is. You know what? The kids are sitting on the bench counting them. There's another one. There's a, you don't know the score, but they you know the score. <laughs> Why? We don't want anyone to feel badly about that. That's all part of this. You know? Where's this stuff coming from? It's a uh, Self-esteem, we're told, is all important. Well, Paul tells us that the gospel changes everything. It changes even the way I think about myself. For now in Christ, I know who I I really am. Let me just stop there. Do you know what a gift that is to know who you are? Most people are lost in space. I'm not talking about that old TV series, (laughs) Lost in Space, but they really are. They're lost. They don't know who they are. I get up in the morning and what am I supposed to do and what's it all about? And it's kind of a bummer, and oh my word, and this and they they're lost. If you're if you know Jesus Christ, you know who you are. We're gonna talk about that here and as the gospel changes the way we think about who we are. It's a great, great gift. It really is. Wow. Well, Two common ways of thinking about yourself, but there's only one of the two that please the Lord Jesus. It is the gospel that gives us the proper estimation of ourselves, And the the reality is uh, we're not God. Uh, You're not God. I'm sorry. You're not God. Some are, you're you're a God. I'm a God. We're all gods. No, that's Hinduism. That's that's, uh, worship of demons. That's not what the Bible teaches. You're not a God. You have God-like mortal finite qualities but you're not god there's only one god father son and holy spirit but you're not junk either you're not a cosmic accident now that's probably the best news you need to hear today you mean there's a reason I'm here yes you're not an accident you know they they are our educators and their rebellion against the god they know they can't imagine why when they take Darwinianism out of the uh, biology classroom with, really, you have no reason to really be here. There's nothing special about yourself, and really, you're just material anyway. There's no moral. There's no right or wrong and all that. Well, why can't I go blow up my school then? I mean, if we're all animals and we really shouldn't be here, and uh, uh, we have to act civil, why? Why do we have, there's no adequate answer for that? Because the whole system is fictitious and false. It's wrong. Well, God gives us the po- proper estimation of ourself. And here's the bottom line. What do you have that's not been given to you? Everything. Think about it. Everything. We stand on this hunk of rock that moves at incredible speeds through the solar system. There's no foundation. That should make you feel. Hold on to your seat a little bit. You know, it gets a little bumpy. We're moving at great speeds, spinning on this planet. And uh, at, uh, what's it moving, 1,000 miles an hour at the equator, 24,000 miles around. We, breathe, we have this blanket of uh, the atmosphere, thank God for that. It uh, blankets us, the oceans keep, uh, the temperatures more constant than what they would be otherwise. Look at the moon and uh, the air we breathe, there's, uh, and then life and health. And then uh, he gives us the ability to stand up. How about that? Just getting up. Some of you may have been laid low, and you're like, I can't stand up. I had that with my hip. I was not homo erectus then. I was homo lay me down on the sofa. <laughs> it's to be able to stand up, upright. God made us upright to walk and to see and to, to look out there, and it's really there, and I'm aware of me. You know, animals don't have that. They're not aware of themselves. We're very aware of that. We'll talk about that. That's part of being a person, being made in God's image, not God, but not junk, not a cosmic accident, not lost in space. It's a great gift, as we think about it. Well, what's the context? <clears throat> I'll say it one more time. In Romans uh, chapter one to eight, it's the longest gospel track in the whole Bible. You think those little tracts that you give out, you know, share the gospel? Paul writes, because he had not been to Rome yet, he wants to make sure they got the real deal, and so he spends eight chapters dealing with the gospel uh, of Jesus Christ, the righteousness that comes by faith. The righteousness that makes us acceptable before holy God is a gift. That's what he's saying. You can't earn it. That's the whole point of it. The whole world is lost. Christ died. And he talks about uh, the faith that saves, the faith, the righteousness that comes by that. Deals in 9, 10, and 11 with what what was God's plan with Israel. Did that fail? That's what he said. And he comes to chapter 12 called the practical part of the book or the great therefore. Now, because of the gospel, what's it look like in our life? What difference does it make? And it makes all the difference in the world. In the way we relate to God, how do we do it? In verse 12, chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, we give ourselves to the Lord. We give ourselves away. Stephen mentioned that with his, his mama and his dad. They were missionaries serving the Lord down in the Amazon and, and even other places. Uh, but not just for missionaries, but all. if you know God, Paul is saying, as a result of the gospel, and we saw that a few weeks ago, verse 1, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God that you offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. How do we relate to God? We give ourselves away. We give ourselves away. Life for a Christian is not about getting. It's about giving. Look at Jesus. He gave it all away. A Christian is a little Christ. That's what God is doing in your life if you belong to him. He wants you to give your life away. And we're going to see next time, as we look at the different variety of gifts, that uh, as we relate to each other in, in a local church, there are a variety of gifts, so, and, and how we're to relate to that, and how we're to use that, both in uh, the church gathered and the church scattered, into the community, into the world but before he goes there he says he's going to say I want you to know how you're supposed to relate to yourself because the gospel changes that and the way you think about yourself so that you're not too you're not heady about yourself it's tough because this world we live in has quite a pecking order doesn't it quite a pecking order and uh and people are pretty aware of who's who and what's what and he's the boss man or that's uh a buffet, and isn't he wealthy, and how about Gates, and all that. We get this, and there's a lot of class envy and stuff being passed. It's terrible really. It's dividing our country. It shouldn't be that way. It really, it results in envy and covetousness and all that. But in the church, how should we think about each other? It's a body. There are a variety of gifts. Every gift, even the, the most common one is even very, very important. And think about yourself and the gift that you have, and so how's, how does he begin? Thinking about ourselves? here. He essentially says, get your eyes off yourself. We're always thinking about ourselves, aren't we? Well, the first common ways the gospel calls us not to think too highly of ourselves. Don't think too highly. Verse uh, Chapter 12, verse 3 is our focus today. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. But to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned him. You ever read that article where they say how much your body is worth? It's really depressing. You know, what is it, $1.63 now? <laughs> like, I thought it was worth more than that. No, they take the min- minerals grind them up. You're, you're not worth too much. That's probably a good way to start as we think about that. Paul says, look, resist this, this idea that it's all about you. It isn't. If anything, it's uh, it's Romans 11, uh, for from him and through him and to him are all things, not you, not me. We have to diligently think rightly about that. A, Paul uses the Greek word think. He uses it four times in that verse 3 we just mentioned. Now, the uh, ESV, you see it three times. The word sober judgment is the same word, but it has a a prefix on it. uh, uh, To think, 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 think. You know, we're to be thinkers. Again, I said that last week. Don't park your brains in the parking lot when you come in here. You should be interacting, thinking about the word, thinking about the Lord, marveling that he saved a wretched man or woman like you. Wow, I can't believe it. Wow. Think, think. Emphasis. It's a sad thing when people come up to me and say, Pastor, tell us, tell me what we believe. <laughs> what do you mean tell us, tell me what we believe? Uh, you tell me what you believe. What do you believe the Bible says? You tell me what we believe. Well, I think I know what you mean, but don't. Are, are you not there? Are you warm and breathing? Are you thinking? Think you are in here. Think. Following our salvation and after our daily offering our bodies as living sacrifice, we are to think and having a proper estimation of all things. Here he tells us, exercise your mind in this way. Do you like exercise? A lot of people don't. Down at the Y, it's kind of funny. The, the regulars down at the Y, they despise January. They can't get a parking spot And the lockers are filled, and if you swim, the lanes are full. And you go like, I can't wait for a few weeks and some of these these New Year resolution folks drop off. (laughs) That's the talk, you know. And they laugh. You know, the regulars just laugh and go like, "Uh, you know, it's it's annoying. But wait, wait, February's coming. (laughs) You know. A lot of people don't like to exercise. Do you think I think fewer people like to exercise thinking. Thinking is is hard work, isn't it? It's hard work. I don't like to think. We're to to exercise our thoughts and think biblically and uh, and, and so on. There are only two possible errors in this kind of self-evaluation, this thing on rejecting this too high thought of ourselves. In pride, we may think too highly of ourselves. We're prone to do that. We are really prone to think more highly of ourselves than we ought. And this is really the more dangerous of the two because it comes most naturally to us because of pride. It's linked to pride. It's linked to pride. You know, a Christian is really one beggar, spiritual beggar, telling another beggar where to find bread. That's really what we are. The weight of the cross is low. Blessed are the poor in spirit. You know, humility is part and parcel of what God does. That's why many men hate the gospel. They won't bow before the Lord. They will someday, and they'll confess. Every tongue will confess Jesus Christ is Lord. They'll do it voluntarily today and be saved. They'll be extracted from them before the judgment. That's what Philippians uh, tells us in chapter 2. Well, pride. Oh, someone said uh, pride is so bad it's the root of all sin. It could be. If self is the root of all sin, then that's probably true. I want to do what I want to do, when I want to do it, how I want to do it, and that's it. Self, pride. Pride is the sin of the devil, right? Pride is uh, the first of the seven deadly sins. Where's that found? Where it tells in the text of uh, Lucifer's fall. Do you know where that is? Where's that? That's right. Look at that. Keep your finger in Romans. I'll just just show you that. You should know that. Someone says, you know, where is that found? It's Isaiah 14. He's dealing near and far history here. But in 14, verse 12 and following, he, he then looks off and he, and he sees, the prophet Isaiah sees the day uh, that, that was many years before his time, and he writes, uh, verse 12, how you are fallen from heaven, Lucifer, which is what Odaystar means, son of dawn, How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, now you're going to notice in these next few verses five times, you're going to see the expression, I will. That's pride, that's self. I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of the assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the cloud, and then finally I will make myself like the Most High—that's God Himself. Verse 15. But you are brought down to Sheol—that's the grave, to the the far reaches of the pit. That's the fall of Lucifer, and uh, uh, pride is is in us by birth. The truth is, um, almost all of us think more highly of ourselves than we ought to, and we desire other people to have the same exalted opinion of ourselves, don't we? I mean, it's all right. It's better that people think well of you than bad of you. Oh, that guy, uh, you know, I throw up when I hear his name. No, it's better they think, oh, he's a good guy. But sometimes our motives are so mixed and pride, exalted, we... Well, how is it that pride is such a problem? We do this when we have elevated thoughts of ourself. And I just list on your sheet a couple of them. Sometimes birth, well, no, I'm a Rockefeller. You know, I'm a, I'm. <laughs> you know, I have a silver spoon in my mouth. That's why there's an expression like that. Privilege by birth. I'm a whatever uh, or my family, you know, my family is uh, in some towns, uh, and, and I guess uh, and, and certain families have a long-standing prestigious name. Nothing wrong with having a good name, but uh, you can have a name in, in a city or in a town, and, uh, and uh, I, I'm proud of that, you know. And, and again, there's a sense where it might be all right, but where it easily crosses the line. Or wealth, you know, wealth pumps up. Americans relate to that, right? I got a big bank account or big stock uh, fund and so, or whatever, and I'm wealthy and so I'm really something. Or achievements, whether in sports or uh, uh, academically or in the community of sorts. uh, uh, We get the feeling that somehow I'm better, I'm better. I'm better than the guy on the street sweeping there by the uh, by the elevator shaft or what have you. Uh, a second area. Uh, how about the three P's of power? Uh, this is commonly said in any in ever in any setting. You got yeah position, possession, and personality. They they're they're powerful, uh, wielding uh, type of characteristics. What do I mean by that? Well, he's the mayor or he's he's the head of that company or he's a uh, this position in life or that. Or possessions, again, we touched on that, with wealth. Well, you know, it's like Monopoly. He's got all the houses and the hotels and all that. He's something, she's something. Or the other power is personality. Uh, You know, just a a suave and persuasiveness. And it can be a beautiful thing, really, but it can be used very selfishly, too. Abilities and skills can cause us to have elevated uh, sense of ourself. Uh, exceptional education. He's a Harvard man. You know, like somehow I'm the, he's the smartest guy in the room. Or, you know, I can falsely, or, or uh, IQ. I, my IQ's uh, 210. <laughs> or I graduated from a name school. I kind of jumped ahead on that, that kind of thing. Somehow we're better. We think we're, be- easily these things can can catapult us into that kind of false and and very wrong thinking about ourselves, even in the church, even in the church. In pride, some of us may even think uh, lowly of ourselves, in in an appearance of thinking lowly. But really, it's a false humility. I don't know if you ever thought about it. And sometimes in pride, because we're fishing for praise from others. You know, like you go, like you'll see, you'll hear someone say, well, I don't think I'm too smart. You better not agree with them. <laughs> yeah, it really is true. You are dumber than a skunk. You know, like, no, they're fishing for something. Like, prop me up here a little bit. Here, no, you're really, yeah, I'm really pretty ugly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> don't agree with them on that. They're fishing for something. That's what it really, it's a, it's an appearance of humility, but it's sort of sort of pride wanting to get pumped up. No, no. Or uh, this is the guy says, I'm hopeless. Yeah, yeah, you are. uh, It's Again, it's being self-absorbed and self-focused. I don't ever see the Lord Jesus doing that in the text, do you? He's giving his life away. He's focused on others. He's always lifting others up, like Dawson Trotman. I told you that story. I haven't told you in a while. Dawson Trotman, he founded Navigators. And back decades ago now, he's up at Scroon Lake. And... uh, he was out on the boat with, uh, I believe Jack Wurtzen was out there with him, and they were out going around the island, and they had some of the kids in the boat, and they did, went around the corner on Schoon Lake, and, and, and two of the girls went into the water. And, uh, and without any thought, Dawson Trotman jumped in the water, and he reached over, and he rescued the one, and uh, went down after the other, and held her up to the boat, and they got her out, and they looked around the third time, and he was gone. He was gone. He didn't know how to swim. But with no thought of himself, he jumped in the water to rescue the kids. And Time Magazine carried that little feature that, that next week with his picture. Dawson Trotman, the founder of Navigator's Ministry, always lifting someone up. I thought, oh, what a discord. May that be my life. Yeah, you can't do that if you're like, Hey, how am I looking today? You know, like, hey, everybody think I'm great. You know it doesn't happen it doesn't you see that's you think rightly because of the gospel. it ought to change the way we think about ourselves. It is true I have on your sheet that many do suffer with a low opinion of themselves and they need to have a biblical estimation of themselves. Some think well. Maybe through abuse and, and heartache. And I've heard some horrible stories through the years, and, and the, they don't say it, but they may. Uh, I'm a zero. I'm nothing, really. And the solution, and the only solution, is salvation. The only solution is to study the scriptures to see what God says of you that you are special, made in God's image, and loved and unique and to believe it and to act on it. Made by God, saved by Christ, and God has given you something to do. And We're not propped up by cycle babble nonsense where, where we, we artificially pat ourselves on the head and say, I am beautiful, I am smart, I am this, I am that. Forget that stuff. You're so dearly loved because of Christ and all that he did for you. That's the only solution. Psalm 139, fearfully and wonderfully made. Take that section of the word and, and just meditate until it, it just radiates in your soul. There may not be much in this world side, but Christ loved me, died for me, and has saved me and given me something to do, and he loves me. That'll transform. And then thinking that way, it's not how many baskets uh, you can shoot In in a minute that makes you great. It's not your bank account. It's not your radiant personality. It's not because you have more widgets and so. That's crazy. God loves you for who you are and how He made you. And so the common way to think about yourself, gospel calls us not to think too highly of ourselves. Reject that notion. But second, the gospel redirects us to think of ourselves with a sober judgment. Our problem is is that we're always thinking about ourselves. The solution, start thinking about yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith. Think about yourself in the right way. Well, what's he mean by this sober judgment? Is that the opposite of being inebriated? And when I'm drunk, I don't know what's going on? What's this kind of, what's he talking about? Well, one man writes, and I put down some of his thoughts, it, it really amounts to every morning, begin by thinking biblical thoughts. What are they? Number one, I'm made in the image of God. I am made in the image of God. I'm not an animal. I don't have to behave like an animal. I shouldn't behave like an animal. I'm not an animal. And I have the capacity to respond and to relate to God. And God has made that, me that way. Wow, look at the specialness of that. God's a person, in fact, three, and so am I. Made in the image of God. That's sober thinking. Second, I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. I hope that you are. It means that you're walking in obedience under the control of the Spirit. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 17. I pray that way daily in my life. Lord, may I be being filled with Spirit today. Now, you're not filled with Spirit if you're walking with open, unconfessed sin. That will never happen. You know, like keeping a closet here or there or something held back. You have to be totally laid bare before the Lord. May I be under the control. It's the idea that the Spirit of God is working in and through me and has control. He's He's the driver in the driver's seat. And I'm going for the ride in so much. I have the power of God working within me. Thank you, Lord, for that. God is at work within me through the problems and pressures I go through. God is working. He's up to something. I'm a construction project. I saw that with Ruth Graham when she, when she died. What was that little epithet? Do you recall that about a construction You know how we always say, uh, someday we'll be done. God will be done finishing us. He's still working on me to make me what he wants me to be, right? And she put down, uh, and they read it at her funeral. Construction, it was something like, construction zone ended. Thanks for your patience. Isn't that beautiful? I just thought, like, that really says it. And the construct it, that was an End of construct. Thank you, Galen, Ruth Cram. Bless her heart. What a what a what a wonderful wonderful godly woman. Bill Bill absolutely is lost without her. Have you noticed? He's just one. He, I think he thinks death has lost his address. What a what a what a great servant. Well, I'm I'm uh, God's working on me through the problems and pressures I go through every day. He doesn't lose me in the mix. So I'm thinking soberly. I'm thinking rightly. The gospel changes the way I think about these things. And third, I'm part of God's plan. Well, if that doesn't do anything for you, am I part of that? Yeah, you're in. You're in. Ever have pick team, you know, pick sides? You pick two captains and they pick them? I'll take Bill. I'll take you know this and that. You're going to play the game. And then there's a one guy left over. He's kind of like, what are we going to do with him, you know? It's not that way. If, if you're saved, God has picked you and kept you and equipped you, and, and uh, you're part of God's plan. What, uh, what I do today has purpose. Isn't that wonderful? Purpose, significance, and meaning. No such thing as a meaningless day, a throwaway day. I remember when Sarah would teach at Camp Hill. She taught at Camp Hill, and uh, I I said to her one day, "I said, what 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 are you home today, about? She said, "Well, she said I needed to take a mental health day." <laughs> I said, "What's that?" Some of our teachers know, right? I said, Dad, I can't take it. I just needed that. I get a couple of personals. <laughs> I had to take a mental. I said, is a meaningless day? No, it's not meaningless. She said, i got to recoup, so I go back tomorrow. There's no such thing as a meaningless day in God's plan. Even the smallest incident, the most insignificant word or relationship is involved in God's great plan. God is in the details. Have you heard that? You hear the expression, the devil's in the details, usually means our lawyer friends who write the contract, you better read the fine print. Usually it's expressed that way. But the tr- reality is, when you think, God is in the detail. There's no chance happenings in a world that God reigns. The people that you and I meet and live with and talk with and do our trading and, and circulate among. You think God said, so like, oh, I didn't know they were going to be there. I, you're not in the right place. No. It's the unfolding of his plan for his glory. Think right about this thing. Think with sober judgment. God is in the details in your life and mine. I I was marveling with Stephen uh, over the phone when he was he was updating me with uh, his mama, and then when his mama's sickness and we were praying for the new job and and then you were down, you're like that just it unfolded like and a lot of times we don't see it but sometimes it's right in our face and we can't miss it that God is in the details right Stephen you were. It was amazing to hear that, and I, I, I was encouraged by that, because sometimes we think, like, well, that's meaningless. Well, there's no such thing as meaningless. When God is in the details in my life and in your life, it gives us confidence in the Lord without conceit. There's no vanity here. It's a sober assessment. It's biblical reality. John 15, 5, Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. I don't find much wiggle room in the word nothing, do you? Not too much. Without me, you can do nothing. And that's the reality. Finally, B, we are, to th- well, we are to think with the measure of faith that God has given. Now, I'll just give you a little hint. He's looking forward now to the local body, and we're going to unfold that next time on the, uh, on the church and the various gifts and abil- abilities that are found in any assembly of God's people. And the measure of faith, uh, the measure of faith uh, means it, 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 mean, it involves what each one of us is uniquely. Faith uh, is used several ways in the Bible, saving faith, right? We trust the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. That's one way. That's the most commonly known. Then there is, you know, uh, earnestly contending for the faith. That's the, the objective doctrines of the Scripture. We call it the faith, Right? Now he's talking about trusting God to exercise, trusting means faith, trusting God to, to actually recognize and use the gifts that he has given to us in, in our church. At Grace here, there's all kinds of gifts and abilities. The measure of faith, there are no bench warmers. You have a gift, everyone, if you know Christ, gifts and abilities that God wants you to use for the health of the body. Well, look at that. That's what he's talking about here, this, this measure of faith. Uh, a person should not aspire to something that is not God's will for him in the body. Oh, I wish I had that gift. Some have the gift of music. I don't have that. But when I hear some beautiful music, uh, I go like, oh, wow, wouldn't it be great to be able to sing like that? <laughs> or some have the great gift of teaching, and some have the gift of serving, and some have the gift of giving, and some have the gift of mercy, and, so, and all these gifts. You know, like, a, oh, I wish I had that. No, you have something. Find out what it is and exercise it to the health of the local church, to the body, to grace. And that's what we're about here. I want to help you find your gift. We'll talk a lot more about that next time. And, uh, and have you exercise that for the health of the body. It can't be two or three, and it's not just the upfront gifts. Every gift is important. So t- genuinely, genuine humility has to do with spiritual gifts and abilities that God has given to take them seriously and to use them for Jesus, use them for the gospel. For it's really wrong to say that you have nothing to offer or that God can't use you. that's a terrible thing. God can't use me. Who am I? That's false humility, really. He saved you for a purpose, for good works that he's foreordained. He wants you to be a part of that, collectively and individually, collectively as a church, as we do intentional ministry. And then, most of the hours when we separate and we're with our families and at our work and in the community, to use our gifts that way. The gospel changes everything. The change It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about him. He who gave uh, everything for us. He who was in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, made himself of no reputation, was found in the form of a servant. This is God. This is creator. And he would even suffer death. And if you can imagine that, even the death of the cross... That's our example. That's the power of God in us. That's what Christ is doing in your life and mine. So it's about Jesus. Others. And then you and I fade off individually. That's the way to live. Those are the happy people. Those are the blessed people. That's what I want to be. That's the kind of church I want to have. I want a happy church. Happy in the Lord. It means that a great number of us have to Live for Jesus then, and for others, and bear one another's burdens, and use the gifts that God has given us, not for ourselves, but for the advancement of the gospel. Well, quickly as we close, lessons for our life. Number one, it was the result of the first sin that made mankind that made mankind sinfully aware and self-focused. It is only the gospel of Jesus that breaks the stranglehold upon us. It was after they took the forbidden fruit that they realized they were naked and they looked inward and they were shamed and they were aware of that and they hid. Before that, they were innocent and pure and were not self-aware or self-absorbed or self-focused. It was the result of sin that did that. And it's only the gospel, the great changer, that changes that in your life and mine. Number two, recognize how much God loves you. Enough to send his own son who took upon himself the punishment for your sin. He did this for you. We need to think about that with sober judgment. That God loves you. God loves you. They asked the old pastor uh, what's the greatest thing in all his years of pastoring that he learned In teaching and shepherding the flock of God. And they thought it was going to be some sort of intricate theological statement. And he simply said, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. You are dearly loved by God. Wow. Number three, you are special. You are. Just like every snowflake is different, every fingerprint is different, every crystal is different, no one can replace you. That's what God said. That's God's message. Maybe you needed to hear that today, especially. For the Lord has made you like no one else for his glory. And find out your uniqueness and exercise it for him. Such a thing will fill you with the deepest sense of satisfaction and joy in Jesus. The pleasure that we have in loving Him and living for Him—you are unique. That's why we reject, uh, you know, the government that says, "Well, you know, the baby in the womb is uh, is a Down's baby, so we better flush that baby away." No, God has not made a mistake. In fact, if you know some families, and some of you do, that they have children that that struggle with different kind of. Uh, Uh, handicaps and disabilities and all that. I know the number of uh, Downs families where that child has brought more joy and happiness. Now it creates some issues too, but there is a cohesive joy there. that They testify, I've heard it so often, that would not have been there without that. And to say, well, you know, just wash that child away and abort that child, how terrible that thing is. And even those that maybe have less ability and less skill and maybe didn't have advantages, some born with more advantages than others, look at the West, look at the advantages we have versus other places in the world. We we are so privileged by the advantages, opportunities that are there. It's not because you're better looking or smell better or any of that. It is the mercy of God and the grace of God. And we encourage people that way and love them and love them, let the love of Christ love them through us to others. Wow, number four be be a deflector when you receive praise, bounce it back to the Lord Jesus. you got to love Tim Tebow for that, you know we recognize everything. What do you have that you haven't received? You don't want to be crass or you don't want to just be nasty about it, but thank them. But just say, I give all the, in your breath and on your lips, I, I give thanks to the Lord. You recognize life is going, going, almost gone. He gave you the breath, the ability, the opportunity, all of that. Give Him the thanks for it. Everything you have, you've received from Him. Everything is His. Everything. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Be a deflector. Number five, ask the Lord to help you today to stop focusing on yourself. Think about it. Say, Lord, do I really think about myself that much? I think you'd be amazed. Lord, help me to stop. It's nauseating. Be Jesus to others and and others-minded. Give your life away. That's what Jesus did and taught us to do now, now that we're his. Give your life away. I keep saying that. That's a theme of my ministry. Give it away. I want you to be happy. I want you to really live. Be a blessing. Say, how do I do that? Help somebody. There's a couple of folks I keep up with. They don't know the Lord, but I asked, well, what do you need? What can I help you with? And I've been able to help. And, and, and the joy is mine in helping. They go like, oh, that was such a burden. No, it's more blessed to give than to receive. I want to I help. I want to, it helps me. Makes my day better. Number six and last. The door's still open. It's still open. I urge you, call upon the name of the Lord Be saved today. If you've never done that, oh, he will save you. He will save you. The gospel changes everything. Changes, changing me. I can't wait to see what I'm going to be in a few days or months or years. And finally, when the project's over, you won't even recognize me. And I'll be like, who are you? Do I know you? (laughs) Isn't that great? Let's pray. Father, thanks so much for your wonderful word. And may we take these truths deeply into our heart, wrestle with them, and may they change us, Lord, and make us like Jesus, we pray in Christ's name, amen.